0: Hopefully you had a a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, Hopefully you didn't have any lovely family drama go down. If you did, we'll pray about it later. But uh, Thanksgiving is obviously a holiday uh, centered on gratitude, centered on being thankful. But isn't it ironic that now the holiday that is centered on being, uh, uh, being grateful for what you have has been cut short by an unofficial holiday where you have to go out and get more stuff. And not only are you going out to get more things, more, more possessions, chances are tensions are high and you're ready to fight to get more things and more stuff. You sit there around the table and you're like, I'm grateful for my family, but I've got to go because I've got to get that flat screen. I'll be back in a little while. Uh, it's just really ironic that uh, Thanksgiving has been cut short by, uh, with millions of people going to stores and purchasing more things, uh, truth be told, that they don't really need. Now, this is the time, I'm going to be honest, I get really... Tempted to ask who went Black Friday shopping, but we're not going to do that this morning. Out of every bit of me that wants to, uh, uh, we're not going to do that this morning. But in all seriousness, with with Thanksgiving centering on gratitude, uh, gratitude is an important trait that we should have in our lives. And uh, have you ever noticed that whenever someone is ungrateful, it really sticks out? Whenever someone's ungrateful, uh, it, it really sticks out. Now, I don't like to think that I'm a petty individual, but if I hold open a door and someone's walking in, like, th- thank you, right? <laughs> How many of you, no, never mind. I, if I don't receive said thank you, I give them the you're welcome. <laughs> and then it gets awkward, you know? You hold the door open and someone rushes in and they're just like, Oh, you're welcome. You know, I like to know that uh, as a man of the cloth, that I'm past that pettiness, but I'm I'm, I'm not. <laughs> or whenever you're at like a sporting event, and and uh, and cars are everywhere, cars are packed, and you. Actually, I was at James Clemens High School a few weeks ago, and uh, I was leaving the parking lot. I, I didn't plan it out well because school had just let out, so. So I, I, I stop and I, I wave this like 16 year old kid to go. He I said, go ahead. So he pulls out like he does, doesn't wave. No big deal. Not better. But then he stops in front of me and lets the entire next row of people. I'm talking about 25 cars deep out. I'm like, dude, you could have at least given me a thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, but I want to start off our time this morning by confessing something because now that Thanksgiving is over, we've kind of flipped the page, and now it's Christmas time. Does anybody else's family in here like at least whenever you were growing up, get the tripod out with the massive VC, uh, VHS recorder and wait until it's going before you can come down the hallway to open up presents? Anyone, anyone like that? Did you guys ever watch those videos? We did. So, see, my dad, he would, uh, he would set up. I'm talking about this massive thing. It like he's broadcasting from CNN uh, uh, so he could document what's happening for our Christmas. And uh, there were times like we wake up and he's like, get back in the bedroom. Yeah. The camera's not set up yet. Yeah. Now, as a child, you're waiting to go see, to, to go get presents, to go see what's, uh, what's in front of the tree. And you're really excited. And I don't know what it was other than the fact my dad only got out that uh, camera once a year, which took forever as a child. And, uh, and if your parents are doing that currently, guys, I want to tell you this. They're going to wait until you're dating someone. And they're going to say, let's watch some home videos. Now, this happened to me whenever my wife and I were dating. We were in college, and uh, uh, my, I, I believe my niece, uh, no, I'm sorry, my nephew was like, Oh, yeah, let's watch some home videos. I want to see videos of my dad whenever he was growing up. So my mother obliged, and she went and got the VHS tapes. None of them were labeled, by the way. So we have to kind of go through and figure out what's what. Um, and then we get to Christmas 1980-something. Little Brandon was excited about Christmas. And I'm opening up presents, and we've got VHS tape Proof of what's happening because you see, they held on to this tape for embarrassment's sake. So, 1980 something, along with my, my older brother, my younger brother, we started tearing up gifts. And I, I, I was probably four, maybe five, I don't know. And uh, I opened up the worst gift known to a little child. Now, as a parent, now I know like the anxiety that kind of comes with it where you're like, yeah, I, I'm kind of a Clark Griswold kind of type. So I like to go get presents and I like for people to like my presents. And then I open up this present and it was the worst thing that I could have opened up. It was close. <laughs> now the evidence is there. Do you know how like whenever your parents are telling a story on you and you can deny, you're like I don't know what you're talking about. You're losing it. And you can honestly kind of convince them that that's happening. Like, There was VHS proof, evidence in 480p resolution (laughs) that you could barely make out what was happening. But little Brandon opens up this gift. He says, oh man, who wants clothes? (laughs) And if that wasn't bad enough, I got to see my four or five-year-old self pick up said clothes and chunk them across the room. (laughs) <laughs> you can tell which one's my daughter. <laughs> now, that's embarrassing enough. Now, if you guys know anything about these VHS camcorders, what would happen is while you're recording, you could hit the pause button, and it will stop recording for a brief moment. So what happens is, oh, no, close, pick up, throw, pause, break, and then a snotty-nosed red-faced Brandon, I'm sorry. like uh, I don't know what happened in that pause. But I can imagine that it wasn't a a good, uh, good occurrence. Now, my parents are here. You can ask about this. It's not one of my proudest moments of my life. But there are times that we are just ungrateful for the things that we may have. Uh, or the things that occur in our life. And one of the things that I love about Thanksgiving week is it's, there's not, now there, there is a little bit of travel involved for us, but there's a lot, of, a lot of just taking it easy, spending time with family. And one of the things that I love to do, it gives us that year mark that we can look back over the past year and see how God has blessed myself and my family and blessed our church. Uh, uh, and I'm not talking about the things that he's given us, but uh, but the situations, the grace that God has given us. And uh, so this morning, as we dive in, fresh off of spending a week uh, dwelling on the things that we're thankful for, this morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Luke that... Uh, that, uh, that, that's going to give us a little bit of appreciation, a little bit of gratitude to the things of God. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter seven is where, is where we're going to be at. Now I'm going to be honest with you. Pastor John has, uh, whenever he sets up a series, he goes for it. So, so he said, Hey, I want you to preach on Luke seven. I'm like, but we've been in first Timothy. So uh, so, 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 bear with me this morning. This is a little bit of a one-off. Next week, we, we begin an Advent series. But uh, in Luke chapter seven, we obviously know that this uh, that this book of Scripture is uh, is was written telling about the uh, earthly ministry of Christ. Uh, obviously, they are drawing uh, during this time. Jesus is kind of drawing attention to himself. Uh, uh, through his ministry, through the teaching, through healing. uh, He's causing a buzz about what's going on. Have you ever noticed if you're like in a place, in a location, and then someone famous walks in, how everything kind of changes? Does that make any sense? Are you getting what I'm... So my senior year of high school, I went to... uh, I was was going for prom. Our students have heard this many times. I was going to prom, and my my date and I and a few of our friends, we, we went to a restaurant, and they were like, Dude, there's... One of the Tennessee Titans is in the restroom. No, he's not. So I walked into the restroom because, hey, how else are you going to find out? You know? And I mean, the restaurant was buzzing about this. This is kind of what's happened whenever Christ gets on the scene. What he is teaching is going against uh, what is being taught. There's a buzz regarding him. Uh, So in uh, Luke chapter seven, where we're at today, uh, uh, we see that Jesus has upset the religious leaders. So the religious leaders who were teaching, who were, who were uh, proclaiming the things of God that were doing it in a, in a false manner or, or an inaccurate manner, he, uh, they, were, they were in the process of getting upset by Jesus. So our passage that we're going to be at this morning, we see that uh, Jesus was invited to one of the Pharisees' homes, one of these religious leaders' homes. The Pharisee was named Simon. And uh, so that's where we are, Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee 's home and reclined at table and behold a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee 's home brought an alabaster flask of ointment and the standing uh, and standing behind him at his feet weeping he began to uh, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them. Uh, With the ointment. Verse 39. Now, when uh, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to him, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman uh, this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. This is one of the first preach it that we see in Scripture. He says, Say it, teacher. And a certain money lender, a certain money lender who had two debtors, one owed him 500 denarii the other owe, uh, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them love him more? So he's saying, he's, he's starting this, this, this story. He's giving them this story. He says, there's these two people who owe a debtor money. One owes a uh, one owes little, one owes a lot. If he forgives them, who's going to love him more? Simon answered, verse 43, Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Verse 44, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to. To kiss my feet. You do not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you. Her sins for which are many. Are forgiven. He, uh, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little. Loves little. Verse 48. And he said to her. Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table uh, with him. Began to say among themselves. Who is this? Who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Before we dive into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he bless the reading of his word. God, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and God, the opportunity to open up your word and just dive in to what it means for each and every one of us here today. God, as we dive into this, uh, into this passage, I pray that we would, uh, we would see the gratitude of this woman, and God, that we would, uh, we would be encouraged through this passage. God, I pray that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we dive into this sp- specific passage, uh, it's important that we take a moment to look at a little bit of a background of what's happening. We are unaware of why Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus uh, to his home. There's, there's a few uh, theories, a few possibilities. One is perhaps he was curious about Jesus. So, so there's a chance that he has heard about Jesus going around teaching, healing. He's like, I just want to know more about this guy. So there's a chance he was just curious. Uh, uh, he wanted, uh, he wanted to, uh, to get to know Jesus. It was considered a reward to invite a traveling rabbi uh, uh, to a Sabbath meal. So maybe he just wanted to get to know him A little bit more. Another possibility is uh, is that he did so with the purpose of a habram, which is a small study that is typically. This is this is one of one of the first home groups that we see. You get what I'm saying? Like like these people are gathering around a table, they're eating with one another with the sole purpose of religious study, regardless of what the purpose of inviting Jesus to his home. We see that Simon was obviously aggressive. It was obviously aggressive in his demeanor over uh, whenever Jesus entered. And honestly, he was disrespectful. You see, Simon omitted, uh, omitted uh, a lot of just social uh, common courtesies that were typically offered whenever someone entered the home. Any, any Big Bang Theory uh, uh, TV show fans out here? Like, we've learned from Sheldon that if someone enters your home, you offer them a beverage, that's not what happened here. You see, normally the host would place his hand on the guest's shoulder and would give him a kiss of peace. The guest's sandals would be removed and the feet would be washed uh, either while entering the home or while, being re- or while reclined at the table. Uh, this occurred to remove the street dust and other things gathered from the feet that we won't go into. Guests we're also anointed with a touch of olive oil. So, so during these dinners, uh, during these formal dinners, uh, what would happen are, is that the doors of the homes were were left open. They were left open, and uh, which allowed invited townspeople to freely wander in. To, uh, into the home. So that's how we see that not only was Jesus disrespected uh, uh, upon entering this home, we also see how this woman, that this passage of scripture was written about, uh, or, or, or was written, uh, that's how we see that she made it into the home. She was able to just freely, people were able to just freely wander into the home and observe the conversation that was occurring. Could you imagine if that happened nowadays? If you're eating dinner, just talking, and then someone just walks in and just sits down. It's like, I just want to watch. Just just go on. That's what happened at this point. So, With many onlookers, it's safe to say that the tension in this home was extremely high. You see, the failings of social protocol uh, was obvious to everyone in the room, everyone in the home. And once the murmurs began about the woman behind Jesus' feet, it was only a matter of time that something was going to go down. That may have happened this past week at Thanksgiving, that someone says something about something that you shouldn't talk about in front of family, and then it just gets awkward. It's about to happen. That's kind of what happened to this moment. The reason why the attention turned uh, on this particular woman was because of the baggage that she brought into the home uh, through the sin that she was known for in her community. She, whenever she walked into Simon's home, the attention turned to her because she was viewed as a sinner, which separated her from the rest of the religious leaders. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that we want to point out is that there's no degrees to the sin that separate us from God. There's no degrees... To the sin that separate us from God. Now, this is this is a this is a common misconception that we I want to clear up here just a moment, because oftentimes it's said that there's no no sin, all sin is bad to God. We know that all sin is bad to God. But if we look through scripture, we see that in Proverbs, we see that God hates pride. Hates pride. We see that he hates a lying tongue. Jesus tells us that lying is uh, wrapped in deceit, which is from the devil. We see that in John chapter 8, verse 44. We see that God hates the spilling of innocent blood. We see that in Exodus 20, verse 13. We also see that God hates when a man or woman sow discord among the brethren. That's in Ephesians chapter 4 and also James chapter 1. We see that there are obvious, there's obvious disdain for sin in general. But there's, but there's obvious uh, uh, structure that God hates more sin differently than he hates the rest of sin. We also see in the Ten Commandments that whenever God, uh, whenever God offers the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, is, uh, I mean, my parents would point this out all the time to me, honor your father and mother so that your days in the land are long, right? So there, that shows us that God values that when I got in trouble years and years and years ago, my 16 year old nephew at the, he's 16 now at the time was probably four or five. We had a tight bond and my sister-in-law, she looked, at him, she looked at me and she said, will you talk to him about, uh, about honoring his father and mother? I'm like, yeah, Ethan, come here. Do you like to live? <laughs> yeah. If you disrespect your parents, you're going to die. And my sister-in-law got really upset. I said, read scripture. And she got really upset. So the thing is, there, there are degrees to sin. We see that God points out his hatred for certain sins. Now, the degrees of sin does not matter whenever it's in regards to the separation between us and God. So whenever someone says it's that there's no degree to sin, it doesn't matter what sin it is. As long as you have sinned, then there is separation between you and God. You see Romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know based on scripture that we have all sinned. Now, if you don't want to believe scripture for this moment, have you messed up at some point in your life? Boom, sinner. So, uh, and if you go a few chapters after that, we see that uh, in Romans chapter 6, 23 tells us that the wages of sin is what? It's death. So we see that the sin, whichever sin or whatever sin occurs in our our life, we see that uh, regardless of what it is, that there's no degrees of separation in the fact that whenever we sin, then we automatically deserve death. This tells us if we've sinned and we are apart, uh, apart from Christ, that results in death. So whenever we look at sin... We know that the woman that's referenced in scripture, we know that she was a sinner. It's said it multiple times throughout scripture. But have you ever noticed, I'm not going to ask you to admit this, I'll admit this about myself. I'm really good about judging other people's sin. I'm really good about looking at other people's sin, and what happens for us is we sit there and we we observe other people, or we observe someone close by, family, friends, whatever, and we look at them and we say, you know what? I know that I'm a sinner. but I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as that person is. I'm not as bad as the coworker. I'm not as bad as the person as, as as my friend that kind of calls me. Uh, sporadically and, and, and needs help, what happens is we look at our sin in light of sin of other people to try to justify the sin that we have. As long as I'm not as bad as someone else, then it's not that big of a concern. I know that I messed up, but at least I'm not like that person over there. You see, whenever we, compare ourselves, uh, whenever we compare ourselves to other people and their sin, what happens is we not only downplay the sin in our life, but we also belittle the people in who we are looking down upon. We forget that God, God loves them just as much as he loves us. You see, not only have each of us, uh, uh, ha- has this played out on probably many of our own lives, we see that Simon... The Pharisee is disgusted at the fact that this woman had entered his home. And after all, it is very apparent that the nature of which this woman had sinned seems to be very public. So there is no, I mean, I don't want to say there's no hidden sin, but I mean, Scripture is referring to this woman as a sinner. It is known that she sinned. So whatever her sin uh, is, we know that the others in the home... Knew about it as well, and he was disgusted. His disgust makes him forget that she was valued too. You see, in this passage, we see two different responses uh, to uh, to Jesus. We see the response of entitlement, and we see the response of gratitude. You see, Simon the Pharisee's response is one that was centered on uh, on the entitlement to forgiveness. His entitlement his entitlement centered on on the law and centered on working his way into pleasing God. For Simon. Uh, it was all about doing good. It was all about being good. It was all about checking off the box in his relationship with God, so that he could, uh, so he could say, "It's okay. I've done this. I've done my quiet time. I try to be good." Uh, it's all centered on the law. You see, if Simon's approach to salvation was in fact possible, if there was a way to earn salvation for us by doing good works, by doing good things, by not yelling at someone at Thanksgiving and by reading our Bible as much as we possibly can. If that were possible, then there would be no reason for Jesus to go to the cross. You see, one of the main problems with this entitlement mindset is entitlement robs us of joy because what happens for Simon the Pharisee at this point is he knows that he that he has tried to earn his way he knows that he has tried to uh, bust his tail to be good to read and to do everything that he was supposed to do and because of his title his entitlement he forgets to rejoice whenever another sinner has an has an encounter with Christ you see for for, for some of us here this morning, we may believe that, uh, that we can work our way to being loved more by Jesus and that we're able to work harder to earn the salvation, to just do good uh, in order to earn the salvation from the separation that we see that uh, sin occurs in our life. But if that were the case, there'd be no reason for Jesus. We see that we have a need for Jesus through this passage. That need is displayed through this woman. The, the woman's response is that second response. The woman's response is, uh, is the response of gratitude. You see, there's a difference in sin whenever one has sinned. or I'm sorry, while there are differences in sin, whenever one has sinned, the exact same result occurs. Sin results in man being separated from, from God and there's no no need to attempt to justify sin with the sin of others. God does not care about your sin. God does not compare your sin to others. God compares your sin against the perfection that he expects. So whenever this woman had an encounter with Christ, rather than thinking that she deserved forgiveness, she was just grateful to be in his presence. The second thing we see is the magnitude of her forgiveness results in gratitude. The reason why this particular woman shows us the second response, the response of gratitude, is because of the amount of the forgiveness that she's received. It is important to point out that whenever this woman was referenced as a sinner, it was 100% accurate. If you go back, if you look throughout the passage, we see in verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisees' home, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, she knew that she was a sinner. He knew that she was a sinner. Whenever she got there, she was described as a sinner. And it was 100% accurate. Could you imagine, although true, if you walked in this morning and said, hey, welcome sinner, come on into church. It's not very welcoming, is it? Like we don't go through with our guest services team and say, hey, just call everyone out for their sin where they walk in. You see, she was, in fact, a sinner. And if there were a category of being a super sinner, then she probably would have qualified for that. But scripture references her as, sin, as a, uh, of, of living a sin-filled lifestyle. But that didn't deny that Jesus cared for her. You see, she was definitely a sinner. But Jesus uses a parable to point out that a Uh, across the, uh, to to point out that her status as a sinner also reflected the status of her forgiveness. The reason why that she had a loving response to Jesus is because she knew that she had a lot of baggage in her life and that there was much to be forgiven for. I remember as a child, my parents are here, so I'm gonna be careful. One of the worst things my mother would do is tell me to go to my room and wait on my dad to get home. Anybody in here agree with that? If not, I'm going to introduce you to my dad. Because what would happen is we had a gravel driveway. Now, I've never sat on death row. But I imagine it was pretty similar to uh, sitting in my bedroom, waiting to hear the gravel driveway start kind of cracking as my dad starts pulling up the driveway. And what happens is I would sit back there and I would think up of the most eloquent apology that I possibly could. Or I would try to figure out how to blame my brother's. We did both of them, neither one of them worked well, but I knew that whenever I had messed up big time, I was going to get in some deep, deep trouble, and I also knew that I just couldn't say, sorry, because one of the worst questions they'd ask is, what are you sorry for? And if you have a, uh, or a, um, at that moment, you failed the test, you are done, You see, the reason why this woman, uh, why this particular woman uh, had such, had such an eloquent response, which is what we'll get to here in a moment, the reason why she had such a response like that is because of the forgiveness that uh, that she knew that she needed. You see, the message of the gospel has nothing to do with what you can offer Jesus is what Jesus has already done for you. And while other religions really uh really trick us into believing it 's what you can offer it 's how you earn your way it 's if you do well, if you do good, then everything 's going to be okay. The gospel tells us it 's already been done it 's already been done there's nothing you 're going to do that 's going to uh, that 's going to change what 's already been done this passage we see we see Jesus side with someone who is obviously Obviously a sinner, which we've pointed out, but he does so to show what he can do for her, which is what no one else could do for her. Jesus, I'm sorry, the woman's response to the gospel is one of gratitude because she realized how sinful she is. She realized how much she had messed up. She realized her brokenness and she realized that without a savior, she was absolutely doomed. You see, the ma- the magnitude of her sin proves a few different things To us, The magnitude of her sin proves that Jesus isn't intimidated by her situation. Jesus wasn't scared. Jesus Jesus knew that that she had not sinned so much that he said, listen, I'm sorry, I can't help. This passage proves us, uh, the magnitude of her sin shows us that Jesus' power is unlimited. Could you imagine if this passage told us that she had sinned too much, that Jesus couldn't touch it? You see, this passage shows us that regardless of her lifestyle, regardless of the baggage, that, uh, that Jesus still had the power to forgive her. There are many people here this morning that just like this woman and just like me, we mess up on a consistent basis, and yet Jesus loves us regardless. The next, passage, or the, uh, the next uh, point that we have this morning is that the woman's grateful response to forgiveness is elaborate and natural. Very few things do we see as natural uh, um, unless it it is in the eyes of a child. Like, I like to think this at least whenever we go to Honduras in the summertime, whenever we come back home, it's been about a week since I've seen my child and if she runs up to me at the airport, like that's a, that's a pretty natural response. Cause you know, they, we don't really text my wife saying, Hey, going to be there in 35 seconds. Like whenever my child sees me, it's a natural response. It makes me feel really good. I couldn't imagine if she sees me, she's like, dude, all right, I'm out of here. You know, like that would kind of hurt my feelings. You see, we see that this woman's uh, a, a grateful response is because is not only elaborate, but it, it's because it's natural. We see that uh, her response is based on her brokenness and based on, uh, on how much she needed Christ. We see that it was raw, unrehearsed. It was totally natural. And because of that, we see that her lifestyle of worshiping Jesus at this moment, of serving Jesus at this moment, was in response to the realization of how much forgiveness she was going to receive whenever it comes to our response of how we react to Jesus we should and how we worship Jesus and how we live our life for Christ not just in our worship service it should revolve around the forgiveness that we have received is something that we don't need a class for. It's not anything that we need to teach a seminar on for. It's the fact that we realize that we deserved hell, but because of Christ, we don't have hell. You see, in fact, Christ offers us the ultimate example of what a natural response should be. We see it in 1 John chapter 4, beginning of verse 19. It says or just in verse 19 it says, "We love because he first loved us." It's really simple. We love because Christ first loved us. Because of her realization uh, of of how much she didn't deserve anything from anyone. That the fact that the only perfect person to walk the face of the earth uh, was there and loved on her and was gracious to her, it shows us that our response to loving other people comes from how that we were loved first. You see, whenever a group of Christ followers go out to lunch after church today, if we want to show them that we love Jesus, then we don't... I've, my, my intern right over here, he, uh, he, he is a server throughout the week. I'm tell you this. If you ask any server, the least favorite day to work is on a Sunday. It's because grumpy church people go and the food's not right. They complain. They're messy. I'll tell you this. I'm the student pastor. I take groups of 50 or more into fast food restaurants throughout the summer. They are not excited we're there. I have to go up and say, listen, I promise you we're going to clean up after ourselves. I promise you that. Please don't spend our food. Because whenever a bus full of teenagers pull up, they know it's a youth group. And every time they're like, dude, are you kidding me? You see, the love that we have is because Christ loved us first. We should should reflect the love that Christ has for us to the people that Christ has placed around us. You see, we should, as Christ followers, have been known far too long for what we hate more so than what we love. You see we are to love because he first loved us. This woman did not deserve what she got, but she did or she received it because Christ loved her. The last thing as we close this morning is that the gospel offers contentment which results in gratitude. One of the biggest things that the that the uh, that the gospel offers us while it offers us much is that we are content in our relationship with Christ. It's exhausting to live for the law. It is exhausting to constantly try to be better and to try to do good and to try to read and to try to study and to try to make everyone happy. It is exhausting. If your in-laws came to your house this week, you kind of know what I'm talking about. And if you need to, we'll talk about it afterwards. Because... The law is something that we're never able to fulfill. The law is something that we're never able to fulfill. There's never a time that we're going to be good enough. But through the gospel, we are offered contentment, which results in a gracious attitude towards God. As we close our time, I want us to think of a time that we have been unwelcomed in a place. Maybe it was this past week. Or maybe you've made the mistake where you going to a really nice restaurant underdressed. Anyone ever done that? That's awkward. Or maybe you go to someone's house because they you walked up on an invitation to someone else, and they go, like, "Oh yeah, why don't you come too?" But you're really not wanted there. It's awkward. It's undesirable. It's something that many of us at all costs avoid. On this particular day, this woman who was not welcome at this home, she wasn't wanted, but she didn't care. You see, this woman, although a sinner. Although she knew that she messed up, she knew that she needed Jesus. And being with Jesus was enough. Being with Jesus was more than enough than to uh, go through the awkwardness and to uh, to, to go through the tensions, to go through a place that she wasn't wanted to be in. Jesus was enough. So whenever we have a clear understanding of the gospel, if you're a follower of Christ, you realize that you've earned nothing, but God loves you. Enough, And he sent Jesus to restore you back to the relationship uh, between uh, God and between us. And we realize that there's nothing that we can do to work for It's something that you just sit back. It's something that growing or having contentment in the fact that God loves you. There's nothing you can do to earn it. Results in being gracious to what God has done. You see, our thankfulness should be a result of the, understanding, of the understanding of what Jesus has done for us. And during the Thanksgiving time during this holiday season, should, uh, should reflect not just on, on thanking God for the blessings he's bestowed upon us with nice things or nice opportunities or a raise or a nice Christmas bonus. It should center on the fact of I didn't deserve any of the love that he has given me. You see, if we finish, uh, uh, or if we go a few verses after John chapter, first John chapter uh, four verse nineteen, if we finish it off, we it says, you know, we love because he first loved us. But if anyone who says I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he is, whom he, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. <coughs> and this commandment we have from him: whoever loves God must also love his brother. Whenever we have an encounter with Christ, it changes who we are. Therefore, it should change the relationships that we have with other people. It should change every bit about who we are. I'll never forget the moment I became a Christ follower. It was on a Saturday night at church. Monday morning was one of the most awkward moments of my life going back to school because there was just something weird. There's something different, something odd. You see, whenever Christ, whenever we have an encounter with Christ, whenever we realize how bad off without him we are, it should change and impact everything else about us. Whenever we have an encounter with the gospel, we know that uh, we gain freedom, we gain forgiveness, we gain acceptance, based nothing on what we can do, but everything on what Christ has done. And because of that, we have a reason to be grateful. Let's pray.